Hey there, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. You know, Waters Church exists to see people's lives changed in the name of Jesus. And if you'd like to be a part of that life change that happens here every week, both in person and online, you can partner with us financially. Just go to waterschurch.org give and select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. My name is Nathan Bonds and this is my story. So I used to live in Indiana and uh, my wife and I decided to take a vacation to Cape Cod in 2011. On my way back I said I feel like I'm home. So I stepped out in faith and I gave my two weeks notice. I didn't have anything lined up but I felt like that's what I had to do and three months later I was interviewing and moving to Rhode Island and uh, I met a guy from Waters. We had gone to several churches but I, I didn't uh, hadn't found a home church yet or anything so we decided to come and our kids like loved it and we loved it and uh, I was like yeah I, I think this is going to be the place. I was making the most money I'd ever made in my life um, with rent and my job I was making six figures and I was doing really well and my uh, division was completely eliminated and I was totally blindsided and uh, that lasted for a period of almost two years where I had no income, everything was closing in, and like I was in a really, we were in a really bad spot. During that time, um, I had still decided to serve, and my wife and I served in the kids' room. I didn't know what I was gonna do, and I met some people, and they said, come to this, uh, come to this restaurant, and uh, we want you to meet and tell your story, and. Uh, it just so happened that the governor of Rhode Island was there, and I met her, and she was like, get this guy a job. So I got a job, and I was behind on all of our bills, thousands of dollars, and I started March 6th. And uh, what God laid on my heart was that not just tithing off of my income, gross off my income, but if anyone gave me anything, I would come to church, and all I would have was like 30 bucks, and I'd, I'd give my tithe off of that. I know like what his word says and I'm not I'm not gonna lose it was all about the tithe and how we tithe and how serious we were about it I started March 6th and it's now only August and I am completely debt-free tithing isn't just with your with your money but with your time with your resources and when you serve it doesn't just help other people it helps you you actually are changed you're you're transformed by the act of serving and the time to serve is now today is the day get involved we are here for those who are not yet here amen amen we are in a message series called not yet here and the reason why it's called not yet here is because we're unpacking uh, kind of like the theme phrase of our church if you're here for any amount of time you've heard us say this if you're brand new, great weekend to start coming to Waters Church. Uh, one of the themes of our church, why we do everything that we do. We like to say it like this. We are here for those who are what? Not yet here. Not yet here. So that's the last part, not yet here. 
but today we're talking about the second part of that phrase. Last weekend kicked this off with, we are here. This weekend, just two words, for those. Okay, so we had to divide this up into four parts, uh, one, two words at a time. So we are here, say it, for those. So we are here for those people. And I would like to invite you to take out your bulletins. Looks like this in the bulletin. There is a note page. Take that out if you haven't already done so. Fill in the blanks with us, especially if you're brand new. Great weekend, like I said, to start to get to know Waters Church. And, uh, and follow along. And then also we're going to go to Jonah, the book of Jonah, chapter 4. So the book of Jonah comes right after the famous book Obadiah. I'm sure that helps all of you. <laughs> Obadiah is like three words long, so you're going to have to find that first. No, Jonah's in the, towards the end of the Old Testament. Uh, if you've got a smartphone, that's always the easiest way to find the Bible. I encourage that too, by the way. Have a smartphone Bible. And we're going to look at the last couple of moments of the story of Jonah. We're going to look at the last couple of moments of the story of Jonah. Jonah chapter 4, stand with me. As we read the, kind of like this is the resolve of Jonah's story. And and then we're going to talk about how we kind of misinterpret Jonah's story and, and how we should look at Jonah's story. And then we're going to talk about what it means to be here for those. So if you're in Jonah chapter 4, just back up a little bit with me to the last verse of chapter 3, which is verse 10. Here's what it says. When God saw what they did, when God saw what they, the they there is the Ninevites. These are the people that Jonah was called to go preach to. When God saw what the Ninevites did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now check out verse 1 of chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Hmm. Skip all the way down to verse 10 of chapter 4, because we're going to talk about what's in between during the message. And the Lord said, you pity the plant. We'll talk about that plant in a moment. For which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow. It came into being in a night and it perished in a night. And should not I, God says, pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. This is the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you. Thank you for this moment in which we have opportunity to respond to you in singing and praise, to hear from you in your word. This is a sacred moment, Father. And we acknowledge it humbly as people. People who need your leadership and guidance, your direction, your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Help us to see Jesus and to become like him. For the sake of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said a big. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. So every week when I prepare a message, inevitably a prayer starts to kind of formulate in my mind about what that message should accomplish. And so I usually put my notes together. And at the top of my notes, I, I write down the prayer over that message that I have been praying all week. And so as I study every week, I just pray that prayer over that message. I've never told you this. This is new information for you. Uh, I only tell you that because today, this weekend, the Lord kind of inspired me to tell you what my prayer was. And it's really usually just a personal prayer over the message from me for God. You know, I just want, Lord, this is what I'm hoping, I'm praying that this message does. 
But this weekend, the Lord I just kind of inspired me to just share it with them. So I want to share it with you, the prayer. I want to share with you the prayer that God gave me over this message. Here's the prayer. Father, I pray that this weekend you will use this weekend and this message to help our church become the kind of church that Jesus would love to attend. That was the prayer. And uh, I was thinking about that. It sounds weird. Like, really? Like Jesus attending our church? But I just, like, roll with me for a minute here. Imagine Jesus was sick of the idyllic climate of Jerusalem. Wanted to move to an area where the weather was schizophrenic. <laughs> where you could wake up in July and get December weather, you know. And, you know, wanted to be, you know, I know he knows everything, so hard to, hard to surprise him. But wanted to be surprised by what that day's weather was every single day of the year. Okay, so he decides to move where? New England. All right, and, and he moved into North Attleboro, and then he was looking for a church, and he started to shop around and wanted to find a church where he's like, these are my people. And I thought, would that be our church? I would love that to be our, I would love to be the kind of church that Jesus would love to attend. Anybody with me on that? I know he doesn't attend church, so, you know, don't take this too far. But I just thought, like, that's what I want. That's what I want. And I thought, what does that look like? And I think it means what we're talking about today. That we could be the kind of church that's here for those. That's who Jesus was. He was always here for those. No matter what he was doing, if people needed him, he was like, oh, I'm here. And one time, God, guy comes to us and says, look, look I, I need you to come. My servant, my servant is sick. All right, I'll go. Like, as he's going, the people come back. Like, it's already healed. Don't worry about it. Like, this is Jesus always going somewhere to help somebody. He was always here for those. And so then we get to this book of Jonah in the Old Testament, the story, this weird story. Guy getting swallowed by a fish. A guy who, in the first chapter, God says, go to those. Who are those for him? Those are the Ninevites. The Ninevites were the citizens of a city named Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, non-Jewish, non-Israeli. And one of the most brutal, wicked, ancient cultures in history. This is documented outside of the Bible. We'll talk about that in a moment. God says, go to them. Jonah runs. We have been mistaken about why Jonah runs. Many people are mistaken about why Jonah runs. Because I've been to Sunday school. I know what you get taught in Sunday school about Jonah. Jonah ran from God because Jonah was scared of the cost. He wanted to sin. He liked the pleasures of the world. And so he ran from God. And God made a, made a whale swallow him. So the lesson of Jonah is don't sin and a whale won't swallow you. <laughs> like we've been taught that. That's not why Jonah ran. Jonah did not want to sin. No, 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 no. He ran from God, we find out, in the last chapter. So, uh, before we get there, what happens is the whale, run, uh, the whale swallows Jonah. Then, <laughs> end, of, end of chapter 3, beginning of chapter, uh, end of chapter 2, beginning of chapter 3, the Bible says that the whale vomited Jonah out on dry ground. How many, how many just love the Bible sometimes? Like, we got whales upchucking humans, and it is so cool. You got to read the Bible. It's funny. And so he vomits Jonah up on the ground, and God's like, okay, now will you listen? He's like, yes, I'll listen. Fine. He's, you know, wiping off this, the whale bile. And uh, he's going into to Nineveh, and he preaches the shortest revival sermon in human history. <laughs> he says, 
40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Let's pray. <laughs> and he doesn't even say let's pray. I added that because it was so audaciously short. And you know me, I'm not a short guy. So anyway, he pre and they all repent. They all like, okay. They're like, the king gets up off his throne. He says, we need to turn around. We need to change our ways. The whole city, every man, every woman, every child is forced to wear sackcloth, this ancient garment for representing repentance and turning from one's wicked ways. And, and fast. And they call a national fast to pray to turn to God and turn from their wicked ways. And God sees and God relents. And, and you know what? The repenting and the turning to God went so far, they even made their animals wear sackcloth and fast. How many know your city has to be pretty wicked to have your animals need to repent? And, and they had them <laughs> their animals. How would this happen? They had their animals turned to God. We actually have some archaeological finds, recent photo photographic archaeological finds of the animals repenting in Nineveh. We want to show them to you up here on the screen. These are the animals repenting in Nineveh. There they are. I mean, I just think that's so cool. <laughs> like, that's so cute. Uh, okay, those are not actual photographs from Nineveh. <laughs> just letting you know. But you know what I'm talking about? This is what happened in Nineveh. And, and Jonah sees God spare them, and he's mad. And he leaves the city. And he starts to throw a hissy fit. Yes, prophets threw hissy fits, many of them. <laughs> Jonah, number one. Look with me in verse 2 of chapter 4. Here's what it says. Oh, Lord, he says. He prayed to the Lord. Oh, Lord, isn't this, isn't this what I said? When I, when I was yet in my country, <coughs> and notice what he says next. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. This is why I ran. Why? Because I knew that you are a gracious God, a merciful God, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And he says, now therefore take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? How many think that Jonah's just kind of being ridiculous right now? You witnessed an entire nation. I know they're not your nation, Noah. I know, Jonah, I know they're not your people. I know they're different than you. But they all turned to your God. And you're mad. Can we diagnose Jonah for a moment? Can I, I, I know I'm not a clinical psychologist or psychiatrist, but I am a pastor, and it kind of comes with the territory to do a little bit of that stuff. And I think I diagnosed Jonah this week. I diagnosed him with a disease. And if you're taking notes, fill in the blank. I, I, here's the disease. Are you ready? The clinical name for it is osinomonia. <laughs> this is the disease. How many of you know what it's saying? Let's, let's, let's break it up a little bit more. This is the clinical name. It comes from the English. <laughs> Us and them, Onya. <laughs> You've heard of pneumonia. This is a worse disease, believe me. It's a heart condition that is infecting 21st century America like it's nobody's business. Us and them. There's us, our people, who are good people, who raise our kids right, school our kids correctly, punish our kids correctly, live in the right neighborhoods, wear the right clothing, avoid the wrong areas, and vote the way the Lord Jesus Christ himself would vote. And then there are those people 
They don't know what they're doing with their lives. And to be honest with you, they're screwing up America. And I blame our problems on them. This is 21st century America. This is the human condition. This is in all of our hearts. It's a disease. And I'm asking you and hoping that we as a church can start getting rid of this nonsense in our lives. Because we all do this. I do this. As I was reading and thinking and praying, I said, man, Lord, I have some them people in my life. Who are your them? Who are your them? What do they look like? Maybe they have tattoos. (laughs) Maybe they have piercings where there shouldn't be piercings. Are your people people with really full, thick, luscious beards? (laughs) Evidently not. (laughs) Who <laughs> are your people? Maybe they are people of a different color. Maybe they're people who don't have English as their first language. Maybe they're people who are not documented. Maybe they're people from a different religion. Maybe they have no religion. Who are your people? Who are your those people? Who are the people that you are so inclined to think, yuck, because that's what Jonah had toward Nineveh, us and ammonia. God, I, I knew you would spare them. I knew it. This is why I didn't want to do it in the first place. Now, I don't care how bad your them is, because your them has got nothing on Jonah's them. The king of Nineveh in the time of Jonah was one of the most brutal, vengeful, hateful kings in human history. We actually have documents outside of the Bible of his own recorded conversations about how he treated his enemies. I have it for you. I want to read. This is from the king of Nineveh. Just check your them against Jonah's them. Because here's what he says. King of Nineveh says, I flayed as many nobles as, and rebels that rose up against me, and I draped their skins over the pile of their corpses. Some I spread out within the pile, some I erected on stakes upon the pile. I burned 200 captives from them, and I took their blood and dyed the mountain red. I cut off the heads of their fighters and built therewith a tower before the city. I burnt their adolescent boys and girls. I captured many troops alive. I cut off their arms and hands. I cut off their noses and ears and extremities. I gouged out the eyes of many troops I made one pile of the living and one of heads. I hung their heads on trees around the city. I don't know how bad your them is, (laughs) but they ain't beating that them. I can kind of like feel it now with Jonah. I get it. That is a bad dude. And plus, on top of it, you know, Assyria, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Assyria was to the north of Israel. And so Jonah's a prophet in Israel. And, and, and he could kind of read the writing on the wall in the, uh, you know, intercontinental wars and intergeographical conflicts. And he could kind of figure out that eventually this northern nation of Assyria is going to come in and overthrow the Israelites because the Israelites are not listening to God either. And God is going to use it, and he will, and he does in, the, in 800 B.C., to 700 B.C., to come in and wipe out Israel. And Joe's like, those are the last people I want to see you save. Us and the Monia. Who are your them? Because we all have them. 
I thought about how it's so easy to build up the us and them barrier, the wall between us and them, the wall. It gets built up. Do you know how it gets built up? Because in 21st century America, we are more superficially connected and more ideologically infected than we ever have been before. Superficially connected. You're my friend. How? Through online experiences. We don't talk to each other. We don't help each other. We never get together. But we're friends. Superficial connection. And then, you know, people, I don't know, we get brave behind the computer screen or the iPhone screen. We get really, really brave. Here's what I really think. Post. <laughs> and then we see what other people think. We're like, ah, comment. Here's why what you think stinks. Post. Like, that's what we're doing. Where does this come from? Because we're more ideologically infected than ever before. 24-hour cable news opinion. Not news, news opinion. That's what it is. And if you watch the channels now, they're actually kind of hysterical because they don't even tell you the news anymore. What they tell you now is what other news channels are reporting. <laughs> That's what they do. This is the 24-hour news. My wife and I just like, can't watch this. Can't watch. This is comical. And I'm, I, don't, I don't know how you do that for a living. I mean, how do you blame another group of people as your job? <laughs> so we're more ideologically infected, superficially connected, and we're building walls instead of bridges. And when we divide, we both lose. We rob ourselves of the opportunity to be what Jesus was for us because there was a day where there was a wall between Jesus and us. Jesus perfect, us not. And Jesus came to the cross and through the cross, the Bible says in Colossians, he destroyed the barrier, the hostile wall between us and God and made a way through that wall through his blood to bring us back to God. This, that's the gospel. That's what Jesus did for us. And if you're a Christian... It's time to tear down the wall between you and them. And if you're not a Christian, I would also encourage you to tear down this wall too, though I can't require it of you. But if you're a Christian, no option. <laughs> if you're a Christian, there's no option. You got to do it because Jesus did it for you. And I thought, here's how we start tearing down the wall. Three things about them I want to tell you. Three things about those people. This will help us tear down the wall. Are you ready? Number one, take notes, really. We don't really know those people. It's so much easier to judge people you've never met. It's so much easier to hate people you've never heard their story. It's so easy. When I graduated Bible college, I was holier than the holier-than-thou crowd. My wife will tell you this is true. I had no tolerance for anybody's sin and anybody's issue. Everybody just needed to get right with God or go to straight to hell. That's what I was, that's my attitude. And, I, and God in his grace gave me a youth group filled with 12 heathens. <laughs> they didn't want anything to do with God. And uh, I remember just thinking, these kids are going to hell. And... Uh, so the second weekend that I'm youth pastor, we get in a bus, we go down to Pennsylvania to a youth conference, 600 teens. I bring my 12. 
and the music starts. And all the kids, you know, back in those, oh, they're worshiping Jesus. Oh, oh, oh Jesus, I love you. Oh. The only 12 that are just standing there are my lumps <laughs> from New England. The end of the service comes, the pastor says, okay, if you want to get serious with God, if you want to love Jesus, if you want to give your whole life, get up out of your seat and come on down. 588 kids got up out of their seat and came down to the front. 12 heathens. <laughs> and I looked at them and I said, you're going to hell. <laughs> like this was <clears throat> And as I'm cursing them in my heart, God says, go sit next to that one and ask him if you can pray for him. So I do it. And I'm like, <sighs> and I go to sit next to the kid. And I said, can I pray with you? He says, yeah. I'm struggling with depression. I don't know what to do. I pray with the kid. Done praying. God says, go pray for that girl. I go pray for that girl. I had an abortion. I don't know what to do. Done with that one. Go pray for that one. Twelve, all 12. I heard their story. Get to the last one. Tears down my face. I said, what's going on in your life? He says, my house is like World War III. These were his words. I don't want to come home from school. Everybody in my family hates everybody. And especially each other. I couldn't get through the prayer. I was just overwhelmed by the weight of this kid's pain. And in that moment, I realized it's so much easier to judge people when you've never heard their story. We don't really know those people. Guess what Christians should be doing? We should be doing what Jesus did for us. He came and he dwelt among us, and he got to know us, and then he helped us. Number two, we sin differently than those people. <laughs> That's the only difference between us and them, is the sins we choose to commit and the sins we choose to be okay with. That's the difference. If you've ever read the book of Romans, um, this phenomenal thing happens between chapters 1 and chapters 2. By the way, I would encourage you to read through the book of Romans. It's all about the gospel. It helps you understand what God is doing in the world. But listen, Romans chapter 1 opens up, and, and Paul is right, and he's like, here's what's wrong with the world. People don't worship God. And you're, you know, as a Bible college student, you're like, that's right. They worship the creation rather than creation. Yes, that's exactly right. And he just unloads. And because of this, God gave them over to foolish minds and, and then lustful adventures and, and, and debauchery and fortification and sinfulness, sick nastiness and evil and all this. And God handed them over. And if you're a good Bible college student, you're like, that's right. Good for God. And Romans chapter 1, verse 32, the last verse in Romans chapter 1, it says this. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. And if you're reading that as a good old-fashioned Bible student, you're just like, that's right. Get them, God. Get them. <laughs> and then you turn to Romans chapter 2. The very next verse you may find, think that you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad. Say what? <laughs> and you have no excuse 
When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself, for you who judge others do the very same things. What kind of Jesus is that? I don't like that Jesus. I like the get those people Jesus. I don't like the look at me Jesus. But didn't he say, how dare you look at the speck in your brother's eyes when there's a plank sticking out of yours? And didn't he say, you might not have committed adultery physically, but you've done so internally when you've looked lustfully. And you might not have killed anybody physically, but you're on the path to it when you hate them internally. I don't know about that, Jesus. I don't know if I'm comfortable with that, Jesus, but that's the Jesus of the Scriptures. Hey, if you're going to get offended by the Bible, please get offended by the Bible for the right reasons. Because the Bible confronts you. Okay? And, and so we just sin differently. I mean, we're just sinning differently. And so, so God brings people into our lives to point out our sin, and we don't like that. And the more angry we get, hey, no, no, I'm talking about your problems. And God, and, and God brings them in. No, you've got problems. I don't like that. But this is how we start to tear down that wall between us and them. When we realize that the same grace that saved us can save them. And number three, we might be those people to those people. And we are. Christians of 21st century America, we are becoming those people to those people. <laughs> I get this experience myself because we have YouTube uh, videos and I love YouTube but I hate the comments section and uh, so we have like these topical videos that our team puts together you may have seen them um, they're short videos that are topically oriented so there's ones on hot topics touchy topics sensitive topics political topics all kinds of topics we think people would be interested in so we get thousands of views for the ones about homosexuality. Like the, these are like the top rated in terms of viewership videos. And there's one particular one. And if you've seen it, it's not harsh and it's not judgmental. I mean, this is, this is soft as you can possibly be about, about that issue. But we present the biblical view, the biblical standard on that issue. That's all we do. Well, every week we get a comment on that video. Every week, without fail, a comment on that video, and they aren't nice. And I thought I'd share the one we got this week with you. <laughs> I thought I'd share it with you on the screen. Here's what we got. This is the comment, I kid you not. You Christians are the most evil people on the face of the earth. Someday all your garbage will be seen for what it is. I hope to see the earth open up a giant hole into which all you evil Christians will finally one day descend. <laughs> and I read that video, I read that comment, and I was like, is he talking about me? <laughs> We're those people to those people. Amen. And I thought, this guy's probably gay. And it's so easy to just sit there and say, isn't that just like gay people? And if I did that, I'd be doing exactly what he was doing to us. It has to stop somewhere. It's not going to stop on television. And it's not going to stop in Washington, D.C. You know where it can stop? Right here. Amen. In the church of Jesus Christ, filled with all kinds of different kinds of sinners who know there's only one man who passed the test. His name was Jesus. He passed it for us. And he gives us his grace and his mercy for free. <laughs> this is where it stops. So 
Jonah has to learn to get over this us and ammonia. And, he, and so God does this, and, and, and he kind of leads him through this incredible little journey of self-discovery for you and for me to learn from. And God gives him an ob- object lesson, object lessons of plant. So let's look at what happens in verse 5. Uh, it says this, Jonah went out of the city sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what should become of the city. I just laugh at that verse because God has already spared the city. But Jonah goes out of the city. As they're calling out to God, they're like, let's worship this God. Let's worship Jonah's God. This guy's right. And he's like, I'm out of here. And he goes to the top of the mountain and he makes a booth and he sits down and he just watches the city. And he's like, I think he's sitting there thinking, hopefully God will change his mind and destroy them. Like, this is what I, hopefully, I'm, I'm hoping for this whole Sodom and Gomorrah theme. Like, that would be one brimstone from heaven. I mean, just, this is what he's doing. And so God's like, oh, okay. So let me just get this guy's attention. Here's what it says. It says um, in verse 6, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head. Hot Palestinian sun, hot, you know, northern actually Syrian sun. And he's just suffering. It says, to save him from his, say the word, everybody. Just underline that verse in your Bibles if you have your Bibles open. It's just saving from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. And by the way, that's the only time he was happy in the entire book. Over a plant. But when dawn came up, verse 7, the next day, God appointed, same words as the plant. God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed, same words, God appointed. A scorching east wind. New Englanders would say, a scorcher. A scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die, and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you, have, do, you do well to be angry for the plant? Hmm. God appoints, God appoints, God appoints, God appoints, God appoints. Five times in the book of Jonah, God appoints something for this prophet. As he runs from God in chapter 1, God appoints a storm. While he's on the ship. And the sailors are like, what's going on? This is a storm that's unlike any other storm. This is from God. Who's God's doing this? Jonah's like, mine. They're like, why? I'm running from him. They're like, are you crazy? They cast lots. They're like, surely it's not Jonah. Surely, cast lots. Surely, it comes up, Jonah. What do we do? He's like, throw me overboard. Okay. They try not to. The sailors are trying to save God's follower. They have to throw him overboard. God, second, appoints a fish to swallow Jonah. Like God comes to a fish. Um, I need you to do something. There's a guy about to jump out of that boat. Go eat him. And so, but don't digest him, you know. So anyway, God appoints the fish. Chapter 4 comes around. After Nineveh, God appoints the plant God appoints the worm to kill the plant, and God appoints the wind to beat against Jonah's face because the plant is gone. Five things God appoints in the book of Jonah. Only one thing brings Jonah happiness. Verse 6 of chapter 4, so Jonah was exceedingly glad about the plant. The words exceedingly glad are important there. In the Hebrew, it means he was jubilant. He was like, wow, a plant! And, uh... It shaded him. So he's like, oh, this is wonderful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And, 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 and then God appoints 
discomfort shortly after the comfort. And I thought, what is God doing? Five things appointed by God for his prophet. One's comfortable. Four things are uncomfortable. And I thought about, this is the big idea. This is the big idea of Jonah. This is the big idea. This is the lesson we need to learn. Here it is. God's people cannot be truly comfortable as long as other people are disconnected from him. This is what Jonah has to learn. This is what we've got to learn. God's people cannot be comfortable with other people not knowing God. This is why we're still on the earth after we come to Jesus. Wouldn't it be just so much better if we just like said the prayer, amen, thank you Jesus for coming into my heart, and God just sucked us up into heaven? He leaves us here. Why? So that we can tell other people. Get uncomfortable for them. Get uncomfortable for them. And so I have three things, three lessons for us from Jonah to close this whole thing out on what it means to be the kind of church that Jesus would love to attend, a church that's here for those. To be here for those, number one, I must accept that comfort is optional. Comfort is optional, Christian. It's got to be optional if you're going to be serious about Jesus. It really does. Um... You say, well, pastor, isn't God comforting? Yes, he is. First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says he's the God of all comfort. So he doesn't get better than that. He's the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our afflictions. But uh, he's also the God that discomforts us for the sake of other people who are disconnected from him. God does comfort, right? Psalm 23 Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they what? Comfort me. Yes. But he's the good shepherd, Jesus, who also said these words in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. How do we reconcile the shepherd who comforts us in the valley of the shadow of death with Jesus, who says, take up your cross daily and get uncomfortable and follow me. We don't need to reconcile it. It's the same Jesus. Here's what you need to realize. God comforts the afflicted. He comforts the challenged. And then he challenges the comforted. Don't think for one second that getting saved and getting the joy of the Lord and getting the comfort of God was supposed to terminate on you. It was supposed to flow through you to other people who were far from God, just like you were. That's the gospel message. That's how this movement moves forward because other people lay it down for people coming up after them. That's what keeps us alive as the church. This is why the church will never die. This is why the church will never die. I don't care what the statistics say. I don't care what the news says. I don't care what the history channel tries to do. I don't care. It ain't dying. Do you know why? Because when the Holy Spirit comes into people, he changes them into the kind of people who are just like Jesus. People who are willing to lay down their lives for the sake of other people who are unlike them. And that Holy Spirit is still working in the church all across this world, changing people so that they stop navel-gazing and looking at their own problems and start looking at other people and say, how can I be a blessing to you? And no power on earth, no Democrat or Republican, no dictator could ever stop the work of God's Spirit. It's moving forward until Jesus comes again. This is what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. This is what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. 
And this is what Jesus wants us to do. Get uncomfortable for people who, were, who are uncomfortable without God. So the sun rises, God appoints the scorching east wind, and it comes and it beats down on Jonah's head. And he's, you know, verse 9, he's like, take my life. It's better for me to die than to live. Okay, first time he wanted to die was because Nineveh got saved. Second time he wants to die is because his plant dies. <laughs> God says, do you do, be well, do you do well to be angry about the plant? It's a plant. It's a rhododendron, for heaven's sakes. And I think about how often we weep over the plants in our lives and don't give a rip about the people in our lives. And God is telling us through Jonah, people matter more than possessions every day. Amen. See, to be here for those, number two, I must accept that people are invaluable. People, not possessions. People, not possessions. People, not possessions. Don't measure your worth on your possessions. Don't try to find the good life in possessions. You will realize this one day or another. I just hope you learn it here first and save yourself a heap of heartache. There's nothing like having good people in your life. I'll take good people over good possessions any day. I'll take a close friend over a great car any day. I love great cars too, don't get me wrong. But I'll take close friends. They're far better. We know that people are invaluable. But we got to start believing that other people who are not like us are invaluable too. Not just our people. That's what the lesson of Jonah is. Nineveh is valuable to me. They're, they're people, Jonah. And we, we learn this lesson when we get older and we have children of our own. How many of you, when you had your first child, parents among us, you had your first child, how many know this happens immediately, your priority list goes like this? <laughs> Before children, my comfort, my thing, my time, my Friday night, my life, my sleep, my money. After children, them! Over them! Please, just be happy and don't do drugs! You know? Full disclosure, I didn't want my third one. <laughs> Your pastor has issues. And I had two children, a girl and a boy, and I thought, okay, we're good. Cheryl and I are good. We got both genders out of the way with the first two. No need to take another shot at this. <laughs> Let's let them grow up, and then they can move out of the house, and we can go travel, and they'll be like cool, like adults, like cool, close to our age, cool adults, and they won't bug us as much, and so we'll go on vacation with them, and we'll love them, and that's not my plan. And I'm percolating on this for like years, and then Cheryl gets pregnant, and I'm like, God, we talked about this. <laughs> and, <clears throat> and all through the pregnancy, I'm like, oh, oh. All the way through to the day of the hospital, and Cheryl's like, <sighs> and I'm like, oh, oh, no more sleep, no more time, no more money, poopy diapers, oh, I don't want to do this again. <laughs> and, <sighs> and then I saw him, and my heart left my body and sunk into his body. And it's been there ever since. And you've had that experience, and I've had that experience. And God's saying, before they were ever yours, they were mine. But listen, it's not just yours that are his, it's other people's that are his too. 
He loves them all. And his church is called to feel the same way about people who are nothing like him, nothing like us, as we do about those who are just like us. And, that, you know, the rest of the story, that third child is like one of the greatest blessings of my life. So please don't leave the building today saying, Pastor doesn't like his third child. Let's pray for him. <laughs> Love him to death. All right. So God says, listen, you pity the plant. You didn't work for it. You didn't work for that thing. It grew up overnight. It died overnight. And then he asks the question, and it's the last question of the book, should I not pity Nineveh? I did work for them. I did create them. To me, they're a great city. To God, Massachusetts is a great state. To God, Rhode Island is a great state. And he's got them numbered, doesn't he? There's 120,000. Look at how the Bible says it. How does it say? 120,000 what? Persons. Why does it say people? Because the Hebrew is so direct. Individuals. The word person is more individual. Personality. Personal preference. God says they're not just numbers. Each one of them is a person. And it's time, Jonah. It's time, Jonah, he says, for you to realize that those people are people. They're people who need me. And God said, and by the way, they don't even know their right hand from their left. <laughs> they don't even know their right hand from their left, Jonah. What does that mean? What's that word saying? It's saying they're confused. They're in darkness. They don't know what they're doing. And I wonder if we just had that kind of vision about people in our lives that rub us the wrong way. You know, maybe that person at your job that just comes in and he's like, if he's angry, the whole office has a bad day. Maybe he's struggling with anxiety or depression or suicidal thoughts. And maybe that's because his wife left him. And maybe that guy who has the piercings and tattoos and is in and out of rehab never met his father. And maybe that girl that jumps in and out of a relationship and stole your boyfriend. Maybe she was molested as a child. Maybe you're just confused. It's time to realize those people are just people. And we're all in this big mess of a broken world together. And we need to start having a heart for each other. Or we'll kill each other. We have the best opportunity to share the message of Jesus the darker the world becomes because Jesus is the light of life. Amen. Thirdly, lastly, to be, there, to be here for those, I must believe and accept that compassion is essential. It's essential. I pity this city. No, 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 Jonah. I pity this city. They're people and they're lost and I'm here to help through you. Um, he says they don't know their right hand from the left. And I thought about there's a, there's a passage in the Bible. Jesus comes, and he's on the cross, and he says something similar, doesn't he? On the cross, what does he say in Luke chapter 23? He says, forgive them, Father, for they what? 
They don't know their right hand from their left either. That was us. And he was on the cross for us. Jesus is the true and better Jonah that went into the heart of the earth for three days and came out of it so that we could be born again. That's how we're going to be here for those.